my goodness. Can you believe this? She's singing. No, she's singing and she's not, she should not sing. No, it is the season finale. 24 episodes, six months, and a lot of me saying, hey, hi, my name's Puno. Hey, huh? Hey, huh? Hey, hey. Oh, hey. My name's Puno. I'm the founder of I Love Creatives, and this is, well, you know, it's Girl Boss Radio. <laughs> so, this season, our theme has been about redefining success. And it's been, I mean, it's really hard to do that in 24 episodes because the truth is, we wanted everybody. No matter how old you are, regardless if you're a founder, employee, or unemployed, or whether you're bootstrapped, semi-bootstrapped, maybe took a loan, VC-funded, there are way more than 24 perspectives to share, especially because we wanted everybody at the table. We've had so many great conversations where I'm like literally on the verge of crying. I was like, what is this? The water is coming out of the eyes. And sometimes it got real spicy. Thank you, Hari. And then sometimes we just needed a reminder to think about your uterus. So at the end of every episode, I always ask, how have you redefined success? And every time, everyone has. Everyone has redefined success. So after listening to that over and over again, I feel like I've just become more and more comfortable with actively allowing my definition of success to change. And I'm saying actively because it's in my control and I can do something about it today. So it's really just giving yourself the opportunity to redefine it today and maybe tomorrow and maybe tonight. You know, it doesn't have to be once a year or when things get really bad. And you can change your definition of success whenever you want. Which brings me to today's episode, because I wanted to talk about the freelancer. That's me. (laughs) I wasn't always a freelancer, you'll find out later. But the freelancer, man, talk about having to redefine success. I think being a freelancer has taught me so many lessons from finance to being able to take deal breakers, things in my environment that aren't working and figuring out how do I want to work? How can I work so that I'm not burnt out anymore? How can I work so I get clients? How can I work so that I get to work with clients that I want to work with? This episode is to help conceptualize what kind of lifestyle business you want to have with actionable steps, like the steps that I actually took. including some spreadsheets for how to achieve that. So let's uh, get ready to hit start on that time tracker. No, I'm kidding. You'll get it in a second. But uh, get ready for this episode because we're going to do a lot of work in this episode. Okay. All right. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Into it. Oh my God. Stop her. Stop her. I've had two freelance phases, moments in my life. And the first one was 2008 when the recession happened and I got laid off. You know, it's like, uh, you knew it was happening. And we were just like, 
okay, everybody's getting laid off right now, but it still cuts when it happens to you, you know? And then you're also in a recession. And so it feels like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? Everybody is going to be like me and wants a job. So I got unemployment. And first of all, no shame in getting unemployment. Like you actually pay for it. And that's what it's for. <laughs> it's exactly what it's for. So I got unemployment and that kind of kept me afloat for like two months, three months. And then I ended up getting a freelance gig. My first freelance gig was at this agency and it was for Trojan vibrators. <laughs> and I was like, this is my first time into freelancing. And I'm just thinking, I want to do a good job. I want to like kill it. And I was like, okay, I need to research the crap out of vibrators. And I had like this idea too about like doing erotica stories so that you can have like a little erotica story with your vibrator. So I was like reading all this erotica at the job and I was just like getting so steamy. <laughs> so here's my thing. I love to talk about my money, my dollars. And I don't mean to do it in a flex at all. Like nobody ever talks about it. So here we go. So like when I first started my first job straight out of college, I probably made 32K ish a year. Right before I got laid off, I actually asked for a raise and I got a bump from like 60 to 80K a year. So <laughs> it was short lived because then the recession happened and then they were like, well, let's lay off all the people that we gave raises to. You know, in retrospect, it kind of makes sense, but like, <laughs> it's just like, dang it. I had just paid off my credit card debt. I was that sucker. I mean, are we suckers? Like they're, they're doing it. The credit card companies are getting us. But when I was in college, I signed up for one of those credit cards, didn't understand interest rates. And, you know, always had this mindset of like, I'm gonna pay off my credit card when I make more money. Just FYI, that's a really bad way to think about money and credit. So anyways, I had $10,000 worth of credit card debt, but I had just paid it off. So I didn't really have emergency savings at this time. I think I had maybe like two grand or three grand or something like that. I don't remember, but I knew that I needed unemployment. So I got unemployment. I think this is the other thing about what I loved about getting laid off. And for those of you who have just gotten laid off, it sucks. Like, totally your ego is hit your social group has just been displaced you have no structure you are living in a state of unpredictability and it's confusing and hard and blah 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 but it has been the best skill i could have learned in my entire life learning self-agency is so key and for those of you that are going through that right now, here's kind of the good thing that comes out of that. One, you get to relook and reanalyze your life and figure out what you don't wanna do anymore. And you're so kind of desperate that you'll try anything and you will do it for no money. And I think that like that mindset, I call that the slashy phase, but that slashy phase is just play. Unfortunately, we 
turn that slashy phase into a four-year college degree. And it became so structured that we weren't actually allowed to play. But nowadays, and I'm seeing this everywhere, people are quitting their job left and right. And we're all going through our slashy phase. So for those of you that are thinking right now, I get this question all the time. It's weird. I really do get this question all the time. People ask me, should I go freelance? And I'm like, I don't even know you, but let me answer that question. So the first question I ask back is, what is your runway? And everybody hates that question because I'm asking about one, your personal finances and two, math. But it is a big part of the picture. So first off, let's explain what is a runway. There's the runway, like work, RuPaul, cover girl. But then there's the money runway. <laughs> it's like if you had a bank account and instead of them just putting piles of cash, they put a little bit of cash in an envelope called month one, month two, month three. That's your runway. People like to think about it in months. So if you have $3,000 in the bank and you spend on average $1,000 a month, you have three months of runway. So whenever someone asks me, hey, should I go freelance? I ask, what is your runway? Because I want to know a couple of things. One, I want to know how long does this person have to figure out freelance, to live, to pay for their life? And... Two, I kind of just want to know, how does this person function with risk? So here's an example. One of my friends, he's a lawyer. He was like, I want to go freelance. And I was like, what's your runway? Because that's the question I asked. And then he said, I have a year and a half. And I was like, damn, <laughs> you are risk averse. You are a lawyer. And in my mind, I'm thinking, but wait, you're a lawyer, you're targeting creative freelancers. There's so many, I mean, he's talking to me, you know, I have a website called I Love Creatives where there's nothing but creative freelancers. Like I'm, I see the potential. He's also in this world, he knows how to network. He's a photographer, like in a way, like all these things are just set up for him, but yet he still wanted a year and a half. So for him, it's more about, I just would feel better. I would make better decisions in my business. I would make better decisions about clients that I take if I knew that I had a year and a half-ish to figure it out. And I think that that is something that's really important because as a freelancer, you are not working in the finite anymore. As a salaried person, as a salaried employee, you're like, what is my annual salary? What is my salary for the year? In six months or in a year, when am I going to get a performance review to ask for the next raise? Whereas as a freelancer, you're always thinking about ranges. You're always taking into consideration, what is the scope of work? Do I like this client? All these variables, and then you're doing the math. Another way to think about this too is, when I decided to go freelance again, I understood this. I understood that I could potentially resent freelancing if 
I didn't have my personal finances figured out, if I didn't have runway, because I knew how I get, like I would take on too many jobs at once. I would get burnt out. I would take on clients that I didn't really like or do work that I was like, whatever about. Sometimes I'm okay with that, but after a while of doing it a lot, just because you haven't saved, I'd rather just have a job. That sounds easier actually, you know? And so the exercise that you need to do is I'm going to tell you to go to a website, but you need to go to ilovecreatives.com slash do the math because I have this spreadsheet on there that I created to really just help answer all these questions that were making me feel anxious about freelancing. And what you need to do is figure out what is your hourly rate. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm not even there yet. I want to become a web designer, let's say, but I haven't even got the skills to do it yet. Don't worry about that. What we need to know is how much money do you need to live? So think about the salary that you made last year. So let's say the salary last year was $30,000, $40,000. Just put that in the spreadsheet and make sure you put eight hours a day. You'll see all the little fields in there, but it'll spit out an hourly rate. And then the next tab, it's gonna ask you how much do you have in savings? And that will then produce a number that is your runway. It'll be like four months, one month, or no months. So if you have no months of runway, which is, that was me, I would highly recommend looking into unemployment just because, why not? You know, it's just, it's there. And if you're listening today during COVID, it's so much easier to get unemployment right now. Um, I mean, it's not because their websites are shitty and I wish I could redesign it, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's easier to get it right now or like everybody's getting it. So if you don't have runway, I would then suggest to start saving for it. And I know that that sounds really overwhelming and it sounds like, but I'm not even making that much money. But that is like the one thing that I wish I just always did. I do it now, but like when I was younger, I always just had this mindset of, I can't afford to save now, I'll save later. And I know I sound like an old person telling you like, no, but you need to save. Okay, I'm gonna say it again. No, but you need to save because it's just one of those things that's like shitty. Nobody likes saving. I'm telling you right now as somebody who's saving, I don't like saving. Like who wants to do that? So it's like figure out a system to save so that it's automatic. When you used to work at a job or if you're in a job right now, your employers automatically take out taxes, for example, without you even knowing it. And you have been able to exist with that amount of money. So you've got to trick yourself. You know, personally, I think 20% is a good goal. But if that's overwhelming, start with 1%, start with 2%, start with a dollar, like literally start with a dollar. But there's no magic answer about this, about runway, about your circumstance. Life is so crazy and unpredictable. The thing that you can control is being able to save. Oh my gosh, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like Dave Ramsey right now. <laughs> <sighs> okay, now this is usually what happens after I do my rant about runway and money. People feel overwhelmed and then they start feeling like this isn't for me. Like obviously Puno has their shit together and she's talking about this person that 
is not me. So I shouldn't freelance and that's that. Okay, I did not mean for that to happen, but I know that that's what's happening. <laughs> Look, I'm just telling you the facts, right? I'm just telling you like the real deal and it is okay that you feel out of your league. It is okay that you feel like not prepared, but that's why I made the spreadsheet because I swear, once you open it and you start playing with the numbers and just start like, I feel like math is just so much more fun when it's like your money, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so just go in there, have fun with it, get freaked out a little bit about it. And then, you know, at least you'll get more answers. And that is the number one thing I ever learned about being an entrepreneur and about being a freelancer is realizing that getting a hold of my personal finances was the difference between me being a successful freelancer and an entrepreneur and not. And the only difference in my mind between a successful freelancer and entrepreneur and not is that you just understand cash flow. I wish that they didn't call it finance because every time they call it finance, it sounds really scary. But really, if it was just don't overspend, <laughs> That's kind of it. And your personal finance, no matter how messy it is, everybody's personal finance is messy. You getting a hold of that is you getting a lesson in entrepreneurship and freelance. This episode is brought to you by Gusto. Okay, this is legit. I am such a fan of Gusto. I was really excited when they wanted to sponsor this episode because I love Gusto, <laughs> truly. So you might be like, okay, okay, well, so what is it? What is Gusto? So Gusto is an easy online payroll and benefits service built for me, built for modern small businesses. It's a one-stop shop. It's the place where I pay. It's where I do payroll. It's where we do benefits. It's where I can bring on contractors, but there's all these other things that I didn't know I needed, like how to stay compliant, how to be compliant in your specific state. And then like all of these other HR questions. What I love about Gusto is that not only is their customer support super awesome, but the way that the UI is set up, it's like a checklist. It's like this small business checklist and you just go in there and you're like, okay, what do I need to press? And you kind of get this like small business crash course as you grow, which is amazing. Cause it's like, this is the last thing that I want to think about truly. And it helps with everything. I mean, it helps with time tracking, with health insurance, 401ks, onboarding, commuter benefits, offer letters. Like it's really no surprise that 94% of their customers are likely to recommend Gusto. Like, listen, listen to me, listen to me. I am, I am a Gusto customer and I am like, thank you. So here's the best part. Because you're a listener, you get three months totally free. Three months. That is enough payrolls for you to be like, oh wait, I haven't thought about payrolls in three months. Exactly. So all you have to do is go to gusto.com backslash girlboss. That's gusto.com backslash girlboss. And I am telling you, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. 
There's no other platform that does this as well as Gusto does. Here's a fact. Even if Gusto didn't sponsor this episode, I would have told you about it anyways, somehow. I would have slipped it in one of these episodes. Anyways, I'm a fan, Gusto. Thanks so much. <laughs> Damn, she's obsessed. I know, shut up. I do, I love Gusto. So like I said, I've gone through two phases of freelance. Phase one was getting laid off. Phase two was after getting burnt out and being 27. 27, 28, I don't know, what is this, like retrograde freaking year? Everybody for some reason freaks out at 27 or 28. I think it's because they're like, I got only like three years, two years left before I'm 30, but nothing happens at 30, it's the same. Anyways, I don't know why, but I also went through that too. And 27 decided I wanted to quit. And I quit in a very dramatic way. I was like, I quit, you know? I quit this industry, I'm gonna start a business or something and Man, I think like the PR, the personal PR around quitting is just out of control. When you quit your job, you know, you got to tell people, you got to tell your friends, your family, you have to have an explanation. You need to tell them what you're going to be doing next. But like you just came out of crazy work. You need to sleep. Like that's what you really need to do, you know? And you feel this pressure now because you've made just such a courageous step in your life. You're a new person now. And people are like, well, what's next for Puno? And you're like, I don't know why, but you just feel this pressure of like, yeah, I better kill it now. I better do something so amazing because I just left this like amazing paying job at Activision as a UX director in Call of Duty. Like that's kind of how I felt where we made a lot of money too, like a lot. <laughs> So, I mean, I'm just going to put it in perspective. I'm not bragging, but I'm just like, it was like close to 180 a year. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to leave this right now. I don't care. And then ended up only making $14,000 the next year in freelance because I was just like, I need to go in my slashy phase. Now, I didn't know what that was, but... In retrospect, you know, you can call parts of your life cool things because you have perspective. But so what's a slashy phase? So it's kind of what I was talking about before. It's me just playing. It's me just experimenting. It's just learning about all these different things. So the first thing I wanted to learn more about was photography. I feel like that's always like the first thing most people want to do is like, I think I want to be a photographer. And I reached out to a girl that I followed a lot as an art director in an advertising agency. And I, you know, I didn't have an Instagram account or anything. Like I just reached out to her and I said, I love your work. And I was wondering if you would be open to getting coffee. And fortunately she was. And I started just meeting more people. I also met a lot more people because I didn't have any friends anymore. Cause like all of my friends were working 14 hour days at the video game company. So I had to make new friends. And that's another big part of like my slashy phase was just getting entire new friend groups. You know, Los Angeles is a huge city, but you feel lost in it. It's so big sometimes. 
So you just kind of have to crack at it, you know, here and there. And I have to say, that's when I got onto Instagram and it just really opened the doors for me. It just allowed me to like find more like-minded people that were kind of going through what I was going through. And I mean, it sounds so obvious, but to some people it might not be. I would go onto someone's Instagram account that I liked. I would see who was commenting. I would look at their profiles. And then I wouldn't just stalk. I would also comment and like try to make a conversation with people. I like had this thing where I didn't want to come off as creepy because like I had like 11 followers. So I would say things out loud and I would write how I talk. And that's how like I started commenting better. And I think that's kind of how I found my voice too in writing was just say it out loud. Like, oh my God, I'd say things like milk boba. Damn, I want that right now. I don't know. <laughs> if that's what came to my head, I would just say it because I would blurt stuff out like that in person. So I just was like, whatever, who cares? This is the one thing about me. Like I don't post as much as I comment. I am like in the DMs and commenting in the feed way more than I post. So in a way I treat Instagram like aim chat, you know? It's more a chat room for me than it is just post a photo of me and then receive likes. I mean, I love that too. Like that's that's a fun part of it as well because you can show and express yourself, but you can actually just talk to people. People always forget the community thing because they're so worried about how they come off that they don't try to actually connect with other people. And I'm like, whoa, you're missing a very special part about social media. Like it's definitely not about just posting. I have friends on Instagram that I actually don't know when they last posted, but who cares? I'm having good conversations with them. That's content. So I got really aggressive with uh, meeting new people because I was having so much fun and I was getting stuff out of it. I was getting friends. And the first person that I finally decided to meet in person was Maceo. I actually did a podcast with him. It's called It's Fun with Maceo. So if you ever want to check that out, but Maceo is super cute. And I told Daniel, I was like, hey, I'm going to go meet this guy that I met on Instagram. See ya. <laughs> and I didn't know what I was doing. And it was really weird. But we're like best friends. And it's just because I went and decided to go meet this person. So please, like, do that. Go meet people. Go reach out to people that you think are better than you. I think actually those people are the ones that you're going to have great conversations with because you already have so many questions and so many things to talk about with them because you're obsessed with them. There's very few weirdos, you know, and you're most likely not a weirdo. So chill. <laughs> so going back to the slashy stuff, networking was one, it was key because it just opened me up to all these other skills that I wanted to learn, all these different styles. As a designer, I know what it's like to have just some inspiration. And now we can surf the internet and surf social and you can really just dive deep. And I think that's like so important because it can show you other things that you 
never thought about before. That's like something about my Squarespace design course that people always say is, one, it's really intimidating when they come in because there's like 2,000 students in this Slack group and there's really experienced people and there's people who aren't even here to be a designer, like they're an interior designer or whatever. But like the one thing that everybody says is like, I've just never been so exposed to so many different designs and perspectives. And that is so important in your slashy phase is to open your brain up to all these different opportunities. And that's what I did. And I tried photography. I tried being a stylist. Definitely did not like being a stylist tried different types of design, like I did UX design. And as I was doing all of these things, you know, there's always two ways to think about the same thing. You can either be like, oh man, I suck at everything. Or you can think, oh man, I don't like doing that. (laughs) And you're gonna start building your creative brief for yourself because like, The deal breakers for me were the main things that I leaned on to figure out my next step. At every point in my journey, I didn't know what the next answer was. I just knew I didn't want to do X. So what else is on my brainstorm list of things to do? Let me try that. The other way to think about it is what world do you want to live in? What world do you want to create? Because that's the thing that is going to open up even more doors. Here's an example. I had all these hangups about online course creation. From the outset, I was like, man, this looks like really cringy and corny and there's a lot of countdowns. I don't know why, but there's a lot of countdowns and I don't like that. And I just didn't wanna be in that world. But I realized that all these hangups, all these like, things that I had in my head about, like, that's who I am. I just realized I could tweak them a little bit and look at the nuance of things a lot more and create my own world. So online courses, I was like, you know what? I like to teach. I love being online. How do I make this something that, you know, I can digest (laughs) that I wouldn't like, I wouldn't throw up in my mouth about. And that's it. I had a list now of things that I didn't like. I don't like the countdown thing. I want it to be fun. I want the videos to be interesting. All these things that you're like, "Ah, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. Those are beautiful. I love those. I love those because then you can just turn those. And then essentially as you try new things, you get more ideas and you're just like kind of paving the road as you're walking on it. So I was going through my slashy phase and it got to the point where I had enough deal breakers and I had enough of a brief that I started honing in on something. And it was actually Squarespace freelancing, which to some people, at least to myself, even when I said it out loud back then, I was like, what? But there was something like, perfect about it for me. You know, I'm trying to build a lifestyle that kind of hit a lot of the marks for me. And I tried UX design, but I didn't really want to freelance with agencies because it's kind of all consuming. And I wanted my brain space to work on other things. Also, I didn't want to drive. I didn't want to do Shopify 
development design because it was kind of too much. It's a big project. And I was like, I kind of just want to do small projects. And I really want to like not have big budgets right now. I know that sounds weird, but I just didn't want the pressure of it at that time. And then with branding and that kind of work, it was too back and forth. And I'd rather have something that was more immediate. And so that's why Squarespace website design made a lot of sense for me. One, I got to work with a lot of small businesses because it was mostly founders who tried to make the website. And then they were like, uh, it doesn't look that great. You know, like I wanted to be a little bit more unique. But then they were like creative enough that they were down for me to just play around and like try anything. And I loved that. And because it was Squarespace, I didn't have to hire a developer so I could tinker with it as much as I wanted to. And I could publish it right away. Basically, I found this sweet spot of a freelancing thing. And this is the part that's weird, right? Because I just did my slashy phase and now I'm honing in on, on something. So I was like, okay, all right, let's do this. So on my website, I decided to make three portfolio websites that were Squarespace because I wanted people to know that I knew how to make those. So I changed my little about me on my website and I said, I make Squarespace websites. I then removed all my agency work, which is kind of nuts, right? Because I mean, I had worked at advertising agencies and did work on big brands like Pepsi and Activision and whatever, but I didn't want that kind of work anymore. So I knew I needed to take that out and I'm not trying to flex, you know, I'm just trying to communicate to these small businesses that one, they can afford me and two, I make Squarespace websites. I really just, I just wanted them to know I make Squarespace websites. <laughs> it's that simple, but it kind of isn't because, you know, a lot of people think like, that's my range. I can do all of that. And it's kind of hard to like get rid of your work. So you don't actually have to get rid of your work. You can always just archive it and then bring it out when it makes sense to. But yeah, so I did that with my website. I also didn't focus so hard on making my portfolio really cool. I just wanted to make sure I had cool pieces in it. So I reached out to a friend of mine who made leather bags and we traded. She gave me a bag. I gave her a website. She let me have free reign. I got to practice my photography. I put my photos on there. And then I met another guy. He was starting a travel company. I think he paid me like 500 bucks. It wasn't a lot. I just remember in the beginning, all of the things that I was doing was either free or for trade or, you know, 500 bucks or whatever. And, you know, this is kind of crazy, right? Because I told you how much I made in a salary and now I'm like doing things for trade or 500 bucks. People have an issue with, you know, doing free work in the beginning. But look, I mean, I went from 180K to $14,000 the next year. But I was also okay with it because the whole point of your slashy phase is that you're investing in yourself and you're figuring things out. And, you know, we allow ourselves to do it for college. I'm just applying it here later when I'm 28. <laughs> so I know that people are weird about free work, but that is the base. One, I needed to learn. Two, I needed to figure out my style because when you're a freelancer, 
there's all these other website designers. How do I differentiate myself? And I needed to figure that out. I had been working for big brands. So I've been given these brand guidelines, like Pepsi's not going to change. I have to like work within that framework. So I kind of actually didn't figure out my style until I started doing free work. And then slowly I was able to increase my hourly and my project rate. Okay, now we're getting to the juicy stuff. Because after someone asked me, hey, should I freelance? They're always like, I don't know what my hourly rate should be. I don't know how to blah, 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 blah. Everybody has this question because there's no answer. You can't really go to Glassdoor and like figure it out. Anyways, so let's dive into this. So first of all, even if you're doing free work, I tell my students this all the time, you have to track your time. I know it sucks. I know you always forget the timer because I always forget the timer, but it is the information that will answer all of your questions. Hourly rate, project rate, when you can expand to a team, how to scope out projects. And then more importantly, and this is the thing that people don't ever think about, <laughs> is it provides you boundaries as a freelancer. So even when I was doing free work, when I was like, you know, I did it for trade for a purse or I did it for 500 bucks, I still tracked my time. And it was so important that I tracked my time in the beginning because I was learning and I was getting faster. And when you track your time, you want to do things like, you know, pay attention to categories of tasks so that you can later turn that into an estimator for projects. There's so many timers out there for tracking your time. In the beginning, I think I even just used a spreadsheet and I just looked at the time and I wrote that down. You can do that. I use Harvest. A lot of people like to use Toggle. Doesn't matter. Don't overthink it. You're really just start and stop. If you do that, that's enough. <laughs> and once you have that information, now you're going to be able to create a scope of work. And a scope of work is simply just tasks, essentially things that a client wants. So for example, I knew that whenever I would make a product page on a website, it maybe took me five hours or something. But then this other product page took 20 hours, but that was because it had four times more the products in it. So like as you're tracking your time, you know, you're going to be paying attention to just these variables, these things that you can use later to help you estimate out projects. And while I am like always about the hourly rate, the only reason why is because that's your cost. That is how much things cost for you. It's your time. Whenever I'm actually bidding on a project, I don't tell just my hourly rate unless it's like, you know, a situation where that makes sense to do that. But most of the time, because I'm making a website, there's like a finite deliverable, I give a project scope, but the project scope is based off of my hourly rate. And then depending on the client, depending on my mood, depending on my interest, I then have a range. So like, for example, one thing that I think about is how many people work at that company? If that company has like 100 employees, they got some money. It's kind of one of those things. If I'm working with somebody who's a solopreneur, 
and they have a full-time job, they might not have as much money as the 100-person company. So if you don't know, if that's all freaking you out, then just go by your cost because that's okay. You are not an employee. You're not stuck with this salary for a year. The next gig that you get, you can change it. So don't feel so hung up or feel so shitty that you quoted something that could have been more. You can always do that next time. Or if it's a retainer client, you can always ask for more if you're willing to walk away, but that's a whole other thing. Anyways, so if you're just starting out, really start with the costs. But when you're negotiating, what I like to do is I mark it up by at least, you know, 20%. It really depends. Sometimes I'll go 40% because most people's tax bracket is about 20%. And then you want to shoot for 20% profit so that you can start building your emergency savings, your runway for your business. Always just ask for 20 to 40% more than what your costs are in the beginning. And, and you're probably wondering too, you know, what about email and client communication? Well, that's really up to you. I always tell my clients upfront that I charge for it. And I put it in my contract. I'll even highlight it in my contract. And I'll just say, I charge for meetings, emails, blah, blah, blah. And every now and then you'll find a client that's gonna come back to you and be like, whoa, I don't know. I don't really want that or whatever. Well, because I track my time, I was able to tell them like, you know what, in the grand scheme of things, like my client communication, unless it's crazy, is typically like 3% of the entire scope of work. My goal is to make this as efficient as possible. Obviously, if we have to get on calls, we can do that. But if budget and saving dollars is what you really want to do, I would say look at this other thing. Because at least in my case, there's other things on my scope of work that are actually where they could save costs. Now, if they are a client that are super chatty and it's always this back and forth, it is really up to you as a freelancer to be proactive and talk about that. Honestly, freelancers that have more of this helpless like mindset of, oh, well, the client is like taking advantage of me or the client is doing this. Okay, I'm sorry, but you are not over communicating. You are not being proactive. You are the freelancer. You are the specialist. You're the adult in this situation. And also, it's their money. Like, respect that. It's their money that they're spending on you. And I tell my clients this before we work together all the time. I tell them, I don't ever want you to be surprised by the invoice. So I'm going to do and make sure and be proactive with your money and make sure that you know if there's any changes, if anything goes out of scope, I'm going to let you know as soon as possible. I just don't want any surprises. Because like if it was me, if it was my money, I would want that same respect too. But the only reason why it gets out of hand is because you're not tracking your time. <laughs> I've been freelancing for a while. I do Shopify websites now too. And so the types of clients I've been working with are also changing. And little by little, every single client, I'm always experimenting. I have a couple of things in my head. Thinking about that company, I also talk to other friends 
that have agencies or have work in their portfolio that is kind of in that world, and I ask them about their prices, you can't be shy about talking about money. You have to make friends and you guys need to talk about money. That's the only way you're gonna figure this stuff out because everybody has different perspectives. I mean, like I work with freelancers all the time. The range of rates is, it's crazy. It's like all over the place. Does it mean that it's like, oh, that person isn't getting what they should get? I'm like, no, I mean, it just means that everybody has different rates. That's where we're at, you know, that's freelance. So I'd been doing a lot of Squarespace websites. And I think the most I had ever like asked for was about 10K. And then I came across this one brand that I knew was huge. And I knew that I could ask for more because when they were getting quotes, I asked, who else are you talking to? And everybody thinks that's weird, but like, if you're charming enough, you can ask whatever, <laughs> you know? Like, just don't be weird about it. Just don't be like, uh, uh, so, um, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and if they don't tell you, which there's so many times where somebody looks at me weird and maybe I lost the client because I asked that, but whatever, if that they're being that weird about it, then it's fine. Like, it's okay, we didn't have to work together. But for some of the people that didn't answer that question, they would say little things like, oh, a small boutique agency or a big agency. And that gives you a lot of information too, because if they said they're working for a big agency and it's a website thing that's big, I mean, you're not talking about 10K anymore, you're talking about 100K. So it's like, you just need to know all this information. And that's the thing about freelancing. You're never gonna have the right answer ever, even in your work, your own work. That's the reason why you're in this industry. This is why you want to like build your own skills and be creative and work because you want to solve problems and do new things all the time. And quoting and pitching and negotiating is definitely part of that process. So embrace that and think about all the variables that you've got in front of you. Try to get as much information as you can. My tarot card reader told me that and I was like, that's so true. <laughs> She was like, just be a detective and figure out as much information as possible before you start negotiating. And I was like, yes. So once you have all this information, including how much time things takes you, you now have a lot of numbers and things to play with, including like you wanting to do this project. There have been projects that I, even today, I'm like, yeah, okay, I've worked on a website project that was $100,000. But I just also at the same time took on a project for $2,000 in trade. So I think that is the coolest thing about being a freelancer is that you just get to do whatever you want. If you want to help out another small business founder and use your talents to give them the same level of service that somebody else is willing to pay $100,000 for, you have just democratized your skill set. And that's really awesome. And you have the choice to do that. And we are now collectively as freelancers who work with big companies and also work with the little guys are leveling the playing field, but at the same time getting money. <laughs>
So I could talk about freelancing forever. And actually I have. (laughs) I have a course for Squarespace and I talk about freelancing there, but I've just realized that meeting so many different freelancers, talking to students, that there's just so much more. And because freelancing is nebulous and everybody has lots of different circumstances and are are in different phases. I've always wanted a business plan for freelancing because I was like, I just, I want to get all of these answers figured out. But what I realized as a freelancer is that you kind of have to build on this business plan as you build your business and who you are. And that flexibility is awesome. What most people don't like about their jobs is that they feel stuck and they can't change anything. They don't feel like they have enough agency to change. And that's when it feels really sad. But as a freelancer, you can change. You can do whatever you want right away too. Like you don't need to have a meeting, you can just change it. So I've been working on this course called the Freelance Business Plan. It's almost like a book in a way that you can just go into. Because freelancers get so caught up in all of these questions and some things that just they don't need to think about today. Like, for example, your business entity, do you need an LLC kind of stuff? Like, yes, at some point, but you need to check off these boxes. And the way that most people, most freelancers have figured this out is because they get to a point where they have to do it. (laughs) Like, they're like, dang it, I didn't pay my quarterly taxes. And now I know what quarterly taxes are. (laughs) But also, as a perfect example of this, quarterly taxes don't matter until you kind of have like a jump in salary that you didn't expect. And you just didn't save. You didn't do that 20% saving, that 40% saving. So that's when it like hits people because they're like, yeah, I made all this money. I'm buying all these things. And then you're like, "Mm, your tax bracket went up and also you didn't actually save. So, (laughs) but whole point of this is as a freelancer, you can usually just get by with not knowing a lot. So the reason why I wanted to build that business plan course is because you don't need to worry about all of these things in the beginning. And you don't let that stop you. Like, don't let that make you hesitate if this is what you want. If this is something that you want to try, then you got to try it first. And then all the problems about taxes and business entities and bookkeeping, that'll just come because you're making money. Those are good problems to have. And there are places that you can get that answer. There are freelancers you can pay to give you those answers. But don't put so much pressure on this moment. It is just playing. You are just figuring out what you want to do, who you want to work with, what your style is. And that's a lot to figure out right now. So you might as well just look at it as like, this is fun. I mean, sometimes it sucks, but yeah, for the most part, this is fun. And just enjoy every part of this process. The ups, the downs, the being unsure, it's all great. I do wish that everybody freelanced at least once in their life. And this is not to say that freelancing is better than being an employee. Like I think that being an employee is totally awesome too. But the thing about freelancing is that you learn about self-agency and 
you learn about your own personal boundaries and you learn, more importantly, how to communicate that. The slashy phase is just so important. It is where you're gonna learn so much about what you like, what you don't like. It's gonna teach you skills. It's gonna teach you that you are resourceful and you know how to learn. And particularly for those of you that might have that entrepreneur spirit in you and want to take this and turn it into a business, like this is all the foundational stuff that you need to figure out so that you can focus on the thing that's way harder, which is building a business. I've talked to so many friends too that were freelancers and they decided to get a full-time job. And man, they're just like so much happier because they understood too what they needed. And like I talk about building lifestyle businesses all the time. And the reason why I talk about lifestyle businesses is because it's a way for you to iterate on work, how you wanna work, who you wanna work with. And I think the difference between finding your passion and building a lifestyle business is that the lifestyle business can change and evolve as you do, whereas the passion is so finite and you're also stuck with it too. So, I mean, I don't know, I'm a goldfish. Like I like tried new things all the time. And for me, I don't really want one thing. I like want to be a slashy. It's almost as if we're going back to before the industrial age, before there was like this you're only gonna do this one thing and just do it really, really well. We are now all having to be masters of some because opportunities are everywhere now and we can do so many different things. So now it's not about our skill, it's about what do we want to work on? It's about what do we wanna build? What do we wanna make? And then we backtrack and we're like, all right, what YouTube video do I watch? Like, <laughs> it's a totally different mindset about work now. And I think, you know, to really embrace that, you need to embrace that you can be a slashy and you don't need to be a master of just one thing. Woohoo! I hope you enjoyed this season of Girl Boss Radio, and it's been really great connecting with this community. Thank you for all the DMs, and hopefully this episode helped out some of you out there that are thinking about jumping into freelance, and I really hope it doesn't discourage you, that it just prepared you with some legitimate questions. And as I mentioned in this episode, I have the Freelance Business Plan course and a Squarespace Design course. And while you wait for the next episode, you can just clickety-clack on the keyboard and head to isleofcreatives.com. We've got a lot of fun courses coming up and we've got a lot of free tools. But yeah, I would love to hear from you. So you can find me on isleofcreatives.com or on Instagram, puno dos tres, P-U-N-O-D-O-S-T-R-E-S. Girl Boss Radio is a production of I Love Creative Studio, original music composed by Nija. This episode was produced by Courtney Kosak. Engineering was done by Michael Castaneda. Our editorial director is Clemence. Special, special, special thanks to Nora Agency. 
Also, big thank you to Nicole. You're killing it. Biggest, biggest thanks to all of you for listening. Until we meet again, Puno out.